Good morning. Welcome to Horizon. My name is Ryan. I uh, direct the student ministry here, and I'm excited to be with you today. And, and what a great song to end the worship set with. Great is God's faithfulness, that he has made promises that have extended across thousands of years. And that's what we've been exploring here together in the Christmas Predicted series, are those promises that prophets made um, about the coming Messiah. And we've looked at things like the star, we've looked at things like the seed, and last week we looked at the branch. And today we're going to look at the horn, or the horn of salvation. And those three words are actually only used three times in all of Scripture, horn of salvation. Uh, We'll see them twice in the Old Testament. And then today we're going to look at them in Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking today at verses uh, 67 through 75. But our key verses here are in 68 and 69. And it says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So there's a lot to unpack in those two verses, right? Like we could spend 35 minutes just talking about those two verses alone. Um, But we really want to get to the horn of salvation and figure out what that means. Um, And anytime you're trying to understand Scripture better, you really want to start thinking about the context, right? Like who's saying this? When are they writing it? Who are they writing it to? What's going on in the environment? Um, That all of Scripture is God-inspired. But part of that inspiration are the details of when it was written. And in this situation here in Luke 1, um, the writer of these words is Zacharias. Okay, and Zacharias is a priest And he's going to write these words, the horn of salvation, in the middle of a song of all things. Okay? There's several songs in the beginning of the book of Luke. And uh, this one in particular is one that's called a canticle. And that's just a a big fancy word for like a song in scripture that is written directly from other scripture. Okay? So it's kind of like this awesome twice-baked potatoes kind of effect where you start with like amazing good stuff, God's word, and then you write a song based on that. And it's like this compounding of interest, of depth um, and clarity. And we're going to see that in the song today, that it is awesome. Um, Other things to know about when Zacharias is writing this, um, Luke 1 is literally crazy. Okay, like it is like a Jewish soap opera. Okay, because all kinds of stuff's going on. There are angels ascending and descending on people with like the frequency of the Amazon delivery guy. Um, There's like senior citizens who are having a baby. Um, there's a man who is stricken mute for nine months, can't speak at all. And then at the circumcision of his son, he's miraculously healed. There's a dancing baby at one point in the womb. Um, and everywhere people are just singing. Okay. Every third line, somebody's breaking into song. Um, so it's pretty crazy and it can feel too crazy sometimes to believe the story of Emmanuel. That when you really think about it, that God would send his son as a baby and all the logistics of that. Um, it can be, like, unbelievable. Well, I'm going to argue that I think it's, it's too crazy not to be true. That, that if somebody was writing a story to convince us of something that never happened, they would have made it far more believable, right? That it's too crazy not to be true. And in there lies the beauty. So we're going to jump in here in verse 67. It says, Now his father... Well, whose father? Well, I didn't tell you, but Zacharias is the father of John the Baptist. So Zacharias, he's got an important role to play here in the Bible. And it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. 
And where it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, I remember being young in, in my faith and, and exploring the Bible and being kind of confused by that. You know, starting to understand what Pentecost meant. That like, oh, in, in my mind, that's where the Holy Spirit just showed up at Pentecost, right? The wind's blowing, the w- windows are rattling, you know, it's like a tornado. Um, so I'm like, well, how would the Holy Spirit come on somebody before that? Um, but then I learned that the Holy Spirit's always been there, right? Like the Holy Spirit's part of the Godhead three in one, the Trinity. That the Holy Spirit is all over the Old Testament. It says the Spirit of God breathed over the waters during creation. Spirit of God comes onto Samson as he's pushing those pillars. The Spirit of God comes onto David as he's writing these hymns of our faith. Spirit of God is even given to people like King Saul and then taken. It's temporarily given and taken. So, so the best understanding of it that I have and that I've come to is that the Spirit of God's always existed, part of the Trinity, but that it was given temporarily before Pentecost and sometimes taken away, right? And that's what we're going to see here with Zacharias, that it is, it is given to him in this moment. And at Pentecost, the Spirit then becomes a seal, right? And a stamp of our salvation and a seal on eternity. Um, but it's given to him. And he's about to break out into song, okay? So just imagine, you all look like you're breaking a song a lot over here, right? Like you're just eating breakfast and you just start singing, right? Um, well, just to help you relate, I mean, just think about it when the Bengals were actually decent <laughs> and you'd be watching a game and they would, you know, score a touchdown and like you just couldn't contain it. And you'd be like, yes, you know, and you're yelling at your TV and your wife's like, what are you doing? And you're like, they scored, right? Like, I remember that. It's been a few years, um, but I remember those days and I have children. <laughs> and if any of you have children, you know that they're loud, Right. Like, we have two boys that are 10 and 4, and they are just loud from the moment they wake up. Um, like, I, I open my eyes, and I'm hearing, hey, woo, yeah, you know, and I'm like, did somebody break into our house? Like, what is going on? I peek my head out the door, and I'm like, hey, guys, what's going on? We just love cookies, and they're just overflowing with joy about cookies. You know, they weren't even, like, name brand cookies. They were, like, generic ones. Um <laughs> Well, Zacharias is doing this. He is about to just overflow with joy. And and as I read that in in preparation for this, part of me started to get a little jealous. Like, when's the last time I had that much joy about my faith? That I would just burst into song randomly because I was so in love with the Savior. And, And it can be easy, especially at Christmas as an adult, to start to say things like, it just doesn't feel like Christmas. You know, it just doesn't feel like it. Doesn't, doesn't help that it's in the 50s right now. Um, but I think there's joy to be found in the midst of Zachariah's song that he's about to sing. And in fact, we're going to look at three um, keys to joy that he's going to show us. And the first one is to trust and believe. And the first key of joy is to trust and believe. And when I see somebody that excited and that joyful, I want to know why. I don't know about you. So, like, I wanted to know, well, why is Zacharias so excited that he's about to burst into song? Well, if you go up in the chapter in Luke 1, um, we learn more about Zacharias. We see in verse 6 that he's married to Elizabeth, and God says that they are righteous, and they kept his, his laws. So they're good people. We see in verse 7 that they've been barren, that they've been trying for a child their entire lives and have been unable to succeed in that. And we also see in verse 7 that they are well advanced in years. <laughs> so they're kind of out of the childbearing um, stage of life, if you will. So you imagine all of this, the emotions that go on with that. Um, and we learn that Zacharias is 
closing in on the end of his career as a priest. And one day he is selected to do something really exciting. So, so the temple, as you know, had different quadrants, if you will. You know, there's the outer court, and they, they worked their way all the way into the, the Holy of Holies, right? The very smallest area that only the, uh, the high priest could enter once a year. But right outside of that, there's a place called the Holy Place. So it gets a little confusing. The Holy Place and then the Holy of Holies. Well, Zacharias is selected by lot. They're just casting lots um, to burn incense in the Holy Place. And a priest may go their whole career and never get that opportunity. It was so special. So you imagine that morning that he's putting on his best robe and slicking back his hair and he gives Elizabeth a little sugar and, and then he heads to the temple, right? And he gets there and it's, it's the day. It's like his Super Bowl. So he's in there and he's burning incense. You know, he's trying to soak up every moment of it. And then we're told in verse 11 that an angel of the Lord appears. So just imagine you're in a dark temple and then, bam, there's a, a massive angel right in front of you. Okay, it says that he does what we all would do. It says that he was troubled and fear fell upon him. <laughs> but the angel said to him in verse 13, he says, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. The first thing I see there is do not be afraid, Zacharias. That anytime anyone encounters an angel in Scripture, they're scared. Right? I think precious moments has sold us a raw deal. <laughs> that, that angels are not these cuddly, cute little cherubs. They're like, I'm going to tickle your feet. Oh. Right? No, angels were angelic beings, and they were massive, and they were scary. Chad and I were talking this week, and he said that there's really good arguments that, that angels didn't even have wings, that cherubim and seraphim have wings that cover their face. But angels did not. They weren't the cute little cuddly things. Um, and I also think about do not be afraid, um, that that is the message of Scripture, that over and over again we are told to not be afraid, well over 300 times. And I've found in my life that one of the ways to find joy is to battle that fear that can well up. And then here in 13, it says, For your prayer is heard. And when I first read that, I thought, is Zacharias probably saying, well, what prayer? Like, which prayer are you talking about? Um, the prayer to burn incense? Yeah, I'm doing that. This is great. <laughs> and then he mentioned the son. Because again, Zacharias is in his 60s or so. When, when's the last time he prayed that prayer for that baby? Could have been decades, right? Have you ever had a prayer like that, that you've just prayed year after year, and you begin to wonder, like, is God even listening? Like, has he even heard it? Has it even made it into his ears? I have. And you wonder, has God heard? Well, well, there's promises all throughout Scripture, just like Neil just talked about. In Jeremiah 33, 3, prophet speaking for God says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So there's the promise that that when we call to God that he will answer us, right? And I've heard it put that it's always a yes, a no, or a maybe, right? Or wait, if you will. Um, And sometimes that can be frustrating. And I imagine Zacharias and Elizabeth had probably wondered and and grown frustrated that that prayer had never been answered for them. But God hears our prayers. 
they don't, they don't fall on deaf ears. Well, the angel continues, okay, and, he, and it's just, the news is just going to get better for Zacharias. He says, and you, in verse 14, will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Like, this is getting better. Like, if I'm Zacharias, I'm like, keep it coming, Gabriel. Like, this is good stuff. And he's going to continue in 16. He says, and he, your son, is going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zacharias is not only hearing that that long ago prayer is going to be answered. He's going to have a son. He's going to name him John. John's a cool name, right? John, Kirby, wherever you're at. That's a good name. Um, But no, not only that, but he's going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. He's going to be the mouthpiece, right? Zacharias is a priest who's been studying this and looking for this and longing for this for decade after decade after decade. And he's just learning it's his son, right? That'd be like an angel telling one of us, like, hey, your kid is going to be president someday, right? Like, here's what I would imagine Zacharias would do, okay? And this is my uh, zero years of acting training here. Yes! Like, that is amazing news! Woo! Right? Who was the guy that ran for president that did that? Um, Howard Dean. Um, He would be so excited, right? Like, my kid is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. Holy cow. Where do I sign up, angel? Like, let's get this done. But that's not what we see. It says in 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and, and my wife is well advanced in years. <laughs> right? He puts it really eloquently. Uh, it's kind of this wonk, wonk, right? Like Debbie Downer moment, right? Where Zacharias is, he's looking at an angel who probably literally was just in the throne room of God minutes before, and he's doubting him. Because Zacharias is so focused on the reality of his life that he's an old man and his wife is well, you know, well into being old, um, that he can't see the awesome thing that God is telling him. He just can't see it. He can't hear it. Because all he sees is, I'm old. Well, do you have things like that in your life right now? Where like God wants to do something awesome. He's moving. He sense it. Maybe he's whispered it in your ear. But you're like, oh, but the reality is this, right? It's kind of like the, the two-voice thing um, where you, you hear your voice saying, well, here's the reality. And then you hear God whispering, no, this is it, you know? Like sometimes I'll hear the, the voice of God saying, hey, you are loved. And I'll, my voice sometimes says, yeah, but I feel lonely, you know? Or, or I'll hear God's voice saying, no, you're forgiven. Like you don't have to carry the weight of that anymore. And, and my voice will say, well, no, but I'm faulty. Like, I feel broken. Well, well, so much of finding joy is believing the right voice, right? That you'll believe what God is telling you. And that is what Zacharias is struggling here with. And there's a price to pay if we don't believe. There's consequences. Verse 19, the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel, right? Like, until then, we just thought it was a random angel. Now he's saying, hey, I'm Gabriel. Like, I'm kind of a big deal, if you don't know it, Zacharias. Um, I stand in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. There's where we get glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe 
And there's our key word, believe. You did not believe, Zacharias, my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. I mean, have you ever thought, man, if God just sent me an angel, this would be so much easier, right? Like, it would require a lot less faith when things are going poorly in my life. Like, God, just write on the wall, send me a text, email, Facebook message, tweet, you know, all the things the kids are into. Just do something, God. Like, reach out. I would believe it. I don't think we would, right? That here you see a priest who has spent decades looking and listening for the heart and voice of God. And an angel shows up and he doubts him. Well, here's what I know in my life. That it can be hard to believe in the midst of uncertainty. It just is. That, that it requires a lot of faith. And we're actually approaching some of that as a team here at Horizon. Uh, about all things Christmas Eve. Crazy, right? Coming up in a few days. Um, there, there's a guy on our team that is amazing, Albert, right? Like Albert plays the bass. He's got a voice like velvet, you know? He's wonderful. And every year on Christmas Eve, Albert, I've been here, this will be my fourth time. Um, Albert comes out here and he sings Oh Holy Night, like right here in this spot. Um, you know, and it's like the heavens open up, right? And I, I'm just convinced Albert is seeing angels, you know? And it's become sort of part of my tradition of feeling like, oh, it's finally Christmas, Albert's saying. Um, well, Albert came to us a couple months ago and said, hey, I'm having vocal issues. Like, my vocal cords are struggling. Albert sings a lot because he's really good at it. And he said, I, don't, I can't do eight services in nine hours. Like, I won't be able to sing again for a few months if I do that again this year. So Albert's not going to sing Holy Night. I know we're going to have counselors available. We're going to pass out. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have the little shocker things ready for our hearts. Um, but we're going to have to trust... And believe that, man, God is still good in the midst of that. And maybe my tradition will be a little different. But, but what's awesome is they've come up with an amazing run for Tuesday night. That, that the music is still awesome and great. And we've got to believe in the midst of uncertainty that God is going to meet us in the midst of that. So he's mute. Okay, nine months. Just imagine he's mute for nine months. Um, and we're going to skip down now to verse 62, because I'm going to argue that he's also deaf. It doesn't say he's deaf, but it does say that as they're trying to figure out what to name his, his son, they're making signs to him, right? Like if he's just mute and can't talk, why wouldn't they say, hey, Zacharias, what do you want us to name your son? And then he would write down, well, John. But instead they're like making signs. It's like the first game of charades ever, you know, in the world going on. And, and they're trying to figure out what to call him. Well, I have to think back to Gabriel saying, hey, hey, Zacharias, you're going to have joy and gladness. Like, did he miss out on some of that because of his lack of belief? Like, again, think about it. Elizabeth's been longing for a child for decades. She's pregnant. The baby's growing in her womb. At the very least, Zacharias can't talk to her, right? The baby's not hearing his voice. I think there's a strong argument that Zacharias couldn't even hear. He couldn't put his head up against the the belly and hear that kind of noise, you know, that you hear in there. Maybe that's just digestion. I don't know. Um, Did he miss out on some of the the joy and gladness? And and do I at Christmas time? Because I'm unwilling to believe the, the promises that God is whispering in my ear.
So in, in the moment, they ask Zacharias, well, what's his name? And he writes down, his name is John. And in that very moment, his tongue is, is loosed. Like all of a sudden, he can speak again as soon as he writes, his name is John. And that brings us to our second key of joy that we see in Zacharias. And that is to remember in awe. We can find joy by remembering in awe. And when I think of remembering in awe, it really, to me, is just worship. Right? That when I think of worship, I think worship is remembering and reminding ourselves. Like remembering what God's done across generations. Remembering what God did through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But then reminding ourselves, too, of what God's done in my life, right? Like a very simple worship song could be like, Hey, God, you're really faithful. Like, remember the time I met that guy, and then he connected me with this company, and then now I work there, and now I have a house and food. Thank you, God. Fa la 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 Right? Like, look out, Neil. I'm coming for you. Um, like, that could be a basic worship song. And Zacharias is about to remember a whole lot in awe. He is just going to start remembering stuff. So 68 and 69, he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Man, has his tune changed, right? Like, he's went from like, how is this going to be because I'm so old, to he has visited. Like, he's using a past tense word. I don't think it's just that he missed that part of grammar education. I think he is so certain it's going to happen that it is like death and taxes that he is saying he has visited. And I love the word usage, visited, Emmanuel. He has Emmanuel and he has redeemed, Messiah. He's visited and redeemed, Emmanuel and Messiah, the two great names of Jesus. And then he throws out the horn of salvation. And let's unpack that finally. It's a nickname, okay? So it is a name of God, that God has many names in the Bible. Some of them he gives himself. Like, hey, just call me the I am, right? Like, that's a, that's a tough nickname. Um, other ones people give him. Have you guys ever had any interesting nicknames given to you? Maybe. When I was a little boy, okay, I had two older brothers, and uh, they used to call me Buzz, all right? So they'd be like, hey, Buzz, get over here. Like, okay, you know, because I'm a little guy. Um, and then their friends are calling me Buzz, like, hey, Buzz, get out of the room. Okay, you know, get out of the room. And then the neighbors are calling me Buzz, and like, hey, Buzz, get out of my yard, you know. So eventually, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but eventually I'm like, why are you guys always calling me Buzz, right? I'm like, well, because you're like one of those mosquitoes that's always buzzing around and bugging us, you know. I'm like, sorry I asked, you know. <laughs> um, well, God has cool names, and here's just a few. That he's our Emmanuel, God with us. He's our Abba, our Daddy. He's the El Shaddai, the Almighty God. He's the Adonai, God who is in charge. He's the El Olam, the everlasting God. He's the Elohim, the Creator God. And one of his nicknames is this Horn of Salvation. And again, it's used less frequently. We only see it three times. In the Old Testament, we see it in Psalm 18:2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Second Samuel 22.3, and this is really just quoting Psalm 18.2. The God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. 
So when you, we hear horn of salvation in Scripture, it is a, just an all-out claim to f- full-octane, no-holds-barred power. Okay, like that is what God is saying. Like it reminds me, <clears throat> excuse me, it reminds me of the commercials. I remember growing up, it would be like, Sunday, 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 at the Coliseum, Bigfoot is going to jump over 25 school buses filled with children, right? And it is like this total, you know, just claim to power, or Tim the Tool Time guy, you know, like that's what God is saying. And at the time, there weren't monster trucks to point to, or jet engines, or, or mighty, you know, machines, but there were animals. And when God is saying, hey, I'm the horn of salvation He's pointing to the, the toughest animal of the day. And we looked at this in our In the Wild series. Um, it's an animal called the uh, wild ox. And the scientific names are the auroch, or my favorite, the, the boss. I'm going to call it boss. The boss primogenius. And the boss, I mean, te- check out these pictures. Like that is a painting painted from when the boss walked this earth. It's been extinct since about 1630. Um, look how tiny those wolves look compared to that thing. And then look at the head, the skull of the boss that an adult man is holding. Like, that thing was massive. It was a humongous creature. In his writing, The Gallic Wars, Julius Caesar described them as this. He said, they are a little below the elephant in size and of the appearance, color, and shape of a bull. Their strength and speed are extraordinary. They spare neither man nor wild beasts, which they have espied. Not even when taken very young can they be rendered familiar to men and tamed. So these things are like bad to the bone, right? Like they are huge, amazing, massive, powerful. Like just imagine as you're walking through the craziness of your life, just climbing onto the shoulders of that thing and and riding through on the power of God. But here's a little of my fear at Christmas time. At Christmas time, we take the huge, big, mighty power of God and we shrink it down to a tiny little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus, right? <laughs> that's my favorite Jesus, is the baby Jesus. Um, and we're like, oh, isn't Jesus so cute and cuddly? He's kind of like that cherub, oh, right? Oh no, right? Like instead of baby Jesus, think baby dynamite that literally, like inside the body of that tiny little eight pound, six ounce baby was the power to form a universe, right? The power to run our lives. The power to conquer and defeat sin and death. So think of that when you think of baby Jesus. Baby dynamite. And Zechariah is about to just start remembering in awe a whole lot of things that God has done. Verse 70, he says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began... He's saying, hey, God displays his power even in the prophets. That hundreds of years, 600 years before, Isaiah is talking about the birth of Jesus, and then Jesus comes. Like, you know, Babe Ruth is famous for calling his home run. Um, Well, God, over 300 prophecies are fulfilled by the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Over 300 are fulfilled by one man. Mathematicians say that eight is impossible. That at eight, there are more zeros in the probability of that than our calculators can hold. And Jesus fulfilled 300. Right? Like, talk about power. If you were here last week and heard Chad explain the branch and how Jesus was born in the branch, like, that was amazing. So many twists and turns that God navigated. He's going to continue. 
remembering in all, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He's remembering the Israelites had been saved but from countless enemies, right? Like the Israelites were like the worst. Most of the time they're outnumbered, outmanned, right? Like imagine Jericho, right? They're trying to take down a city and they're like marching around it, banging on stuff, blowing horns, you know, ding, ding, the walls come down, you know. Then there's Goliath, a nine foot tall giant. They're all shivering in fear. And then out comes the schoolboy and he's like, bing, with a rock. <laughs> down he goes. Like he's remembering it all. The enemies that God has defeated for his people. And then he talks about the enemy that hates us. And here, I really think he's talking about Satan. He's saying, hey, we have a strong and powerful enemy. And the Bible uses the analogy of a lion, right? And just imagine if, like, we just tossed a lion out in the middle today. Like, here you go, Simba. You know, like, we're running for the doors. You know, like, Nathan's pushing children in front of the lion. You know, he's like, get out of the way. Like, it would be scary, right? But he's saying that our adversary is like a lion. And he wants to kill us. And I've done student ministry now for 25 years. And I promise you that, man, is that true in the lives of our students. Satan is just looking for ways to just crush them. Their families, their lives, their futures. But here's the good news. That that the boss, the horn of salvation, that the enemy has struck his heel and and struck out at him, that the boss has crushed his head because the boss is far more powerful, right? Like that's what we want to remember in awe. That's what Zacharias is remembering. He continues in 72 that God has performed the mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So now he's casting way back remembrance. He's he's going back to Genesis 12 in the Abrahamic covenant where God tells Abraham like, hey, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the, the sand on the beaches, right? And one day through your seed, all nations are going to be blessed, Right? Like, that's the covenant. And then the cool thing about that covenant is unconditional. Okay? So we know a lot about conditional covenants, right? Like, I have one that's called a mortgage. <laughs> With like, hey, as long as you keep sending me a check, you can keep your house. Well, God makes an unconditional covenant with Abraham. Where they cut apart the animals, they lay them down, and, and normally both parties would kind of skip through there holding hands. And it was like, hey, if, if either of us break this, may this be done to us. Well, in that covenant, only God walks through. And he says, hey, I know you're not going to keep your end of it, but I am. And no matter what, I'm going to be faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. What we just sang a few minutes ago. That's the promise that we need to remember in all. And then it all comes full circle. The last key to, to uh, finding joy is to serve without fear. To serve without fear. Verse 74, it says, To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And I want you to look at those first few words. To grant us that we. That word grant is huge. Everything that comes after that is going to be 
free of charge, right? Like we say here at Horizon, it's complimentary. <laughs> like everything else than the rest of the verses is free. Like it's granted. God's going to give it to us. And it's going to become really important as we unpack of those. He says that we're delivered from the hand of our enemies. And, and when you think about it, we have lots of enemies. We don't have nearly as many as the Israelites had at the time. Um, and in America, we have it pretty easy as Christians, comparatively. Um, but we still have enemies. And, and for me, one of them is fear. That, man, am I scared of the opinion of other people? Am I fearful about the future? About the unknown? About failure? Fearful about death as I'm getting older? And I think Zacharias, part of some of his disbelief was fear. As that angel is standing before him and saying, hey, you're going to have a son. That Zacharias is probably thinking, well, what if it doesn't happen? What if I put all my hope in what God is saying, but then it doesn't come true? What am I going to tell my wife if I go home and I say, we're having a baby, and then it doesn't happen, and she's crushed? We've got to battle fear. Fear. And one of the hallmarks here at Horizon that I love is, is service. That like, I don't know if you know this, but on a Sunday, on a weekend, there's almost 200 people that serve in some capacity here at Horizon. You know, whether they're in the parking lot, they're cutting bagels, they're making coffee, they're singing, they're holding a camera right now, or holding one of your kids right now. They're, they're just all over and they're serving. And they're doing it without fear. That honestly, for any of us to serve in any way, we battle fear. For me to get up on a stage, I'm battling fear, right? Um, for you to help in Sunday school with little kids, you're battling fear of like, do I know enough? Like, what if they ask a question I don't know? Well, tell them what you do know. Jesus loves me and he loves you too, right? I see this a ton in our student ministry that we have amazing volunteers. There's a couple dozen. And I know for sure, <clears throat> I know for sure that some of them are battling fear just by showing up. That, that there's a great volunteer who has struggled with mental health and she just shows up and she shares her story. And I know part of her is probably thinking, man, I've struggled with anxiety and depression. Maybe I'm not worthy to share. And, and I'm thinking, well, no, statistically half of our kids do too. So you're perfect because you can show up and say, hey, in the midst of my brokenness, I've become whole and found health in my relationship with Jesus. And serving without fear is a, is a pathway to joy. And we'll continue in 75. It says, the, in holiness and righteousness. And here's where I hearken back to the uh, grant us <laughs> phrase. That our holiness and righteousness has been given to us. Right? It's the gospel. Like what's beautiful about scripture is it just all fits together. Right? Like it's, it's all cohesive, that that is the gospel, that Jesus covers us with his death and resurrection, right? Like that we are covered in the blood of Christ. That's a protection. It's been granted to us. In Exodus, they're, they're building the, the temple, and God gives very clear instructions on all of it, and one of those is about the altar, okay? And the altar is to be made out of one piece of wood, so imagine they find this massive tree and they're, they don't have power tools, so they're whittling it down and shaving it and cutting it. Um, and, and on the end of that altar, there were supposed to be four horns. And again, these horns are all out of the same wood. And, and they make four horns on each of the corners of the altar. And they're going to burn stuff on this altar. And then on those horns, they pour brass. And they cover them in brass 
to protect them from the fire so they're not consumed. And I think that's such a great analogy for the gospel, that that is what God has done, that the blood of Christ has covered us, protected us, so that we would not be consumed. So over the next two days, as we all face the craziness of Christmas, right, the the good stresses and the bad stresses, like even fun family get-togethers can be a little stressful, um, what if we began to think about the boss, right, about the horn of salvation, about the mighty strength of God, and we said, hey, God, help me to have the strength to believe what you're whispering in my ear, the truths, the promises. Help me to have that strength. Help me to have the strength to remember, remember in awe the things that you've done in my life, things that you've done to free me, to save me, things that you've done for my forgiveness. And then help me to serve without fear. Help me to be a servant who doesn't have the fears of am I good enough? Am I, do I know enough? Because I'm forgiven. Right on top of the, the mighty strong shoulders of the boss this Christmas. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your son that here in a few days we are going to really celebrate the coming of Jesus. And I thank you that he did come in a fragile package. That you were bold and strong enough to send your son in the most intimate of ways as a baby. Um, But I, I thank you within that baby was untold power, unimaginable power. Baby dynamite. Help us this Christmas season to to rest in your power, to lean into the horn of salvation. In your name, amen. Hey, a couple last thoughts here. Christmas Eve is only a few days away. Tuesday. We will have eight identical services here at Horizon. Okay, they are 10, 11, 12, and 1. Off for two, because we've got to eat. And three, four, five, and six. They're all identical. So if you show up at 10 or 6, it's the same experience. Uh, And there are complimentary tickets in the back. And we would ask you to get one for everybody you're going to bring. Even if it's a two-year-old, though they can go to childcare. But get tickets for everybody. Um, So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much. Have a great day.